What's going on, guys? Let's talk about week 11, shall we? So yesterday was a jam-packed, action-packed Sunday as always. And um, one very unfortunate thing I wanted to start this thing off with is the Joe Burrow ACL tear. So that obviously very disappointing, very sad for Bengals fans. Joe yesterday was was being asked to do a lot as usual. He had 34 pass attempts by the time he got hurt. So that was, you know, not even three quarters, not even three full quarters of play. 22 of 34 for 203, a touchdown, no picks. And, you know, and he also had two carries for 12 yards. So that was very unfortunate, like I said. Um, Bengals fans, you know what? It's okay, though, because you're two seven and one. It happened at a time in the year where, like, at least it wasn't the last game of the season, right? You know, and, and now you've got to worry about whether he'll be ready for next year. I mean, I think with the way um, modern technology has treated these ACL injuries, he should be fine in about six months. So six, seven months, he'll be he'll be okay. And that gives him, like I said, plenty of time to probably even be there for training camp and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he won't necessarily have to practice all the time in training camp just as a precaution, but he'll be back and he'll be fine. He's young. And it's not like, even though he uses his legs a lot in terms of scrambling and things like that, it's not a, what I would imagine is a big deal from a, like he doesn't need to be explosive per se. He doesn't need to necessarily, you know, change direction at an elite level or anything like that. So it's, you know, he's a quarterback and he's going to do the majority of his work as a pocket passer. So a great rookie season for Joe started off a little bit rocky, definitely bounced back with, with, uh, very much more consistent play down the stretch. And like I said, man, something we need to respect about him is he was asked to do a lot in this offense. Like that's something that I wish the chargers would. I don't think the chargers should use him in terms of asking to do as much as burrow was asked to do, because I don't think they should have even asked burrow to do that. But I do think, and I wish the chargers coaching staff would just open it up just a little bit more for Herbert and let him do a little bit more and just ask a little bit more of him basically. So I think that, um, it was impressive what Joe did, especially over the last five or six games. And, uh, you know, when you especially when you consider what he was asked to do, like I said, so a good, successful rookie season for Joe. It's unfortunate, very unfortunate, the injury, but it's not the end of the world. It's a two seven and one Bengals team. It's not like they had to. You know, it's not like they were in the playoff mix. Like if this happened to Tua, knock on wood. That would be, you know, devastating because you, you you are a playoff team. So you want your young quarterback in there in that situation. But in this one, just like, you know what, it would have been nice to get him some more reps. But he had nine games, nine starts as a rookie. So that is plenty to learn from. And now it's all, it could work as a blessing in disguise because it could work as like a situation where Joe gets to sit down and watch. So he got to play nine games and start them. And now... He gets to sit down and watch and and just study the game and work on the mental side of things. So it could benefit him. It could. I'm not saying it will, but it could. So that's um, something to kind of pay attention to moving forward. And Ryan Finley is a guy now for a dude that I actually kind of liked pre-draft last year. Um, he's a guy that has an opportunity to show what he can do as a for his career. Like not I'm not saying to be a starter, but just to either solidify himself as a legitimate backup quarterback moving forward or to potentially audition for another team because then this also could work out for Cincinnati in the sense that if he comes out and plays well, well now you might be able to trade him and, and sign a veteran as your backup next year. So, you know, who knows or you might just say, "Hey, he's our he's our long-term backup. He's a young player." So, that's a legitimate asset. I mean, we saw the Eagles just spend a second round pick on a backup quarterback that might be a starter before too long. But um, considering how Carson Wentz is playing, but that's another topic. Um, I think this is an important thing for Ryan Finley. And, and like I said, he gets a what will be a seven game starting sample size for to show kind of what he can do for his career. So excited for him. And on the Washington football side of things, they their defense played phenomenally. I mean, only allowed nine points. And. Alex Smith on the offensive side was efficient. He was kind of like vintage Alex Smith, 17 of 25, 166 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But the most encouraging sign from both a fantasy and real football perspective from this team is that Terry McLaurin had five catches, 84 yards. But the most encouraging was uh, Antonio Gibson, 16 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. So that is, um, you know, obviously a very good sign. McKissick was still involved, had six carries, 43 yards, and then he also had three catches for 26. 
was the second most targeted player, or I'm sorry, third most targeted player on the team after Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin. But Gibson had one catch for 10 yards. I, I still wish they'd give him more work as a receiver because he played majority receiver in college. But um, 16 carries for 94 yards on touchdown. Fantasy owners will be happy with that. And I'm sure 17 touches is, is solid for Antonio Gibson as well. So a good, solid victory by the Washington football team. And guess what? They are still in the mix in the NFC East. So now it's down to with the Eagles lost yesterday, it's down to really three teams. And um, I mean, really, I guess the Cowboys are still in the mix as well. So um, all three of those teams now, uh, you know, basically still alive. I mean, Dallas is three and seven. Washington's three and seven. Giants, I think, are also three and seven. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, anyone's division for sure. All right. Next up on the list here is the Carolina Panthers shut out Matt Stafford and the Detroit Lions. So just like everyone expected, right? Like come in, just, you know, skunk them. No points. PJ Walker wins his first start. And and similar to what I just said about Ryan Finley, when you look at PJ Walker, I mean, this guy was the star of the XFL, right? And, you know, take that for what it's worth, but star of the XFL. And then, uh, I, I knew or I had a feeling that he was going to get the start over Will Greer, and I'm happy the Panthers did that because a lot of times teams will just say, hey, you know, we we spent a fourth-round pick on Will Greer. We have nothing invested into P.J. Walker. Like, let's, you know, let's see what Will Greer can do. But it, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, from what I saw on film from Will Greer's college days, I didn't and compare that to what I saw from the XFL days of P.J. Walker. I just didn't think that – Will Greer, you know, I, look, he looked bad last year, and that's what he looked at, like, in the NFL. He averaged, like, four yards of pass attempts or something horrible. And so I'm happy that P.J. Walker was the guy they went with because it shows that the team is just doing what's best for them. And that's also partly because Matt Rule has no investment into Will Greer. And uh, with his seven-year contract that Matt Rule signed, I think it's safe to say Matt Rule is running things in terms of that kind of stuff. So I'm happy to see that. And uh, the Panthers offensively were balanced. I mean, like they were basically 50-50 in the run-pass ratio. And the receiving trio of DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson was, you know, very much legitimate today. Even even without um, Teddy Bridgewater, they, they still were targeted 30 times, caught 22 of them for 243 and a touchdown. And Curtis Samuel is really carving out a nice role for himself uh, after what was basically a you know very limited role for him early on in the season. So they ran the ball well. Mike Davis, 19 carries, 64 yards, and a touchdown, but he was more effective than those numbers led on. So um, impressive there. And then, like I said, defensively, they shut out the Detroit Lions. So that's obviously you know not an easy thing to do, but I guess it makes sense when you look at what the Panthers' strengths have been and then – when you look at what the Lions do offensively, the Lions, no one's going to mistake them for a team that runs the ball successfully on a consistent basis, especially when you remove DeAndre Swift in the equation because he didn't play yesterday with the concussion. So, I mean, Adrian Pearson had seven carries for 18 yards, carry on at six for 17 and Stafford had four for five. But um, Stafford was 18 of 33, 178 yards and obviously no touchdowns, no picks, but they did lose a fumble. So, look, it's a very impressive win for the Panthers. And considering they had lost, I think, five straight, um, you know, that you like to get a win. And, and the Panthers going into this game were the worst third quarter team in football. And they won the third quarter yesterday by a score of 10 to 0. So, very impressive on all fronts for the Panthers, and I'm happy that they got the win. P.J. Walker looked good, and even if he's not you know, the, necessarily the future in Carolina, which I don't think anybody's going to say he is, what he is is a guy that, similar to Ryan Finley, is able to now take his opportunity, audition, kind of put some reps on tape there, and he played well. So that's, uh, that's what I've got for the Panthers-Lions. And look, for the Lions, you know, it's very unfortunate because – this is just what they do. They don't beat teams that they should beat. Like if you're, look, you could even say, if you want to make the argument, no, no, Carolina's better than the Lions. Okay, that's fine. But when you say the Lions are still technically alive and you say, all right, there's no Teddy Bridgewater. Like the Panthers are not going to get their starting quarterback for this game. He's not playing. You've got to win that game. And to not only not win that game, but to lose in a shutout 20 to zip, 
it's just very disappointing. And I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of Lions fans and Lions media after the game are calling for the firing of Matt Patricia. And I get that. I totally understand. But when you look at it, it's like, dude, what is that really going to do? Like, to me, Matt Patricia, I mean, let's face it, he's not been great. But in my opinion, firing a first-time head coach again after this is, I think, his third year, it, it just, it's not something that is going to immediately make you better, right? Like, it's uh, most of the time, it takes time. You know, look like Vic Fangio, I think, was a very good hire in Denver. And you see it's it's not been, you know, super clean there. And this is his second year. And uh, I think it just takes time, you know, because with that, when you do stuff like that, you are going what happens is your your front office makes all these um, personnel moves to to fit a, a particular scheme on both sides of the ball. And when you fire a guy and you bring in a brand new coach, he's going to want his players. So he's going to want brand new players. And that means time. It's going to take time for this to all, to all click. That's why it's very impressive what Matt Rule's done because the Panthers have had a, a gigantic uh, turnover in personnel, especially in the defensive side of the ball. And Matt Rule has kind of got them going in, in a positive direction quickly. But like I just mentioned, the Panthers lost five straight games before this. So it's not something that, that, you know, you need to be able to cast judgment on super quickly. And in the previous years, we've seen Matt Stafford be hurt and things like that. So a lot of things going against Patricia in that regard. But if I'm them, I'm giving him next year as well. And I know a lot of Lions fans will lose their minds. And I, I think that the ownership even made a comment that like, he had to make the playoffs this year or he was gone. So I don't expect that to happen. But just for me, the way I would run things is you got to give a first time head coach at least four years, in my opinion. So, you know, that's just what I think of it. But who am I? All right. Steelers, Jaguars, the Steelers win this game 27 to three. And you just look at the defense, man, the defense finally puts together a complete game. Um, and, uh, you know, this Pittsburgh team is now 10 and 0. So, you know, I don't think anybody's shocked that they beat the Jaguars. But when you look at it, when not only did they beat the Jaguars, they basically they didn't allow anything. I mean, the Jaguars went up three to zero. Pittsburgh scored the final 27 points of the game. So um, obviously the Steelers, I mean, pretty much the most complete game of the season, I would say. Deontay Johnson, 12 catches for 111 yards. And I think it's safe to say from a fantasy standpoint, it is officially Deontay Johnson season. Um, Pittsburgh didn't really run the ball as much as I thought they would, but when they, when, uh, Connor did get the football, he averaged 6.8 yards of carries, 13 carries, 89 yards. And, um, you know, the receiving core to me is, is the perfect combination of skill sets in Pittsburgh, right? You have Claypool's your, your big red zone guy. You've got Deontay's kind of your, you know, I don't mean to say this in a direct comparison, what type of way. Like in terms of, I don't think he is Antonio Brown as far as like as good as Antonio Brown was, but or is, but I do think that skill set wise they're similar. And in terms of how Ben is force feeding them targets, Deontay Johnson is the new quote unquote AB. And then you've got Juju is kind of your underneath guy. Uh, I mean, yesterday just four catches for 19 yards, but that just that shows you the kind of role he plays for them. And then James Washington is a big play threat that, you know, may or may not touch the ball in any given game. But if you need him and if you don't account for him on the defensive side of the things, he he's a 50 yard touchdown away from being James Washington. So um, Pittsburgh is good in that regard. And the defense, four interceptions, two by Minka, two by Terrell Edmonds. I mean, what can you say? My guy uh, that I root for, Jake Luton for the Jaguars, I told you going into this one, he was going to have his his. Uh, He's going to have a difficult time with the Steelers defense. He just, let's face it, that's, you know, he's at a disadvantage though. So I hope the Jaguars give him another game or two to really put some more reps on film, see if he can have a game more like his first game and not like his last two. But for Jacksonville, you know, you've got James, positive sighting with James Robinson still played relatively well in a very difficult matchup. I mean, what, what was Robinson here? He was, uh, four, I mean, 17 carries for 73 yards, so still over four yards a carry. And then he had two catches for 21. So, I mean, 94 yards from scrimmage for James Robinson against the Steelers in a game where they were 
you know, down by a lot from the majority of the game was, uh, you know, to me, another impressive game for him. So that's some optimism for Jacksonville moving forward. Pittsburgh and Baltimore on Thanksgiving night should be tons of fun this week. So I can't wait for that one. Okay. Uh, Titans at Ravens. The Titans get the win 30 to 24. I picked the Titans to win this game, so I'm happy about that. But what I really think was the difference in this game, or not really the difference, but a big thing for Tennessee was the fact that just the overall Derrick Henry effect, right? And a lot of people, especially in the analytics community, PFF, et cetera, will tell you that running backs don't matter, right? That, that, you know, you can just put anybody in there and replace them. But I'll tell you what, if there's any running back in there, like just an average Joe, the Ravens defense is going to shut down the Titans offense. The overall effect of Derrick Henry, because when you looked at what he was doing for the first basically three quarters, he was averaging like two or three yards a carry, right? So that from that standpoint, you can say, yeah, anybody can do that. Sure, I'll give you that. But but the thing about it is Derrick Henry was controlling how the Ravens played them. You heard Tony Romo on several occasions in this game said, use Derrick Henry against them, right? And what, what that meant was you're going to have like the two point conversion, the crucial two point conversion that essentially you could make the argument that, that was the play of the game in some ways because the Ravens went down and kicked a field goal that would have otherwise won it if that two point conversion didn't go through um, was all the illusion of Derrick Henry, the worry they're, they're using Derrick Henry against them, like Tony Romo said. And that's, you know, Ryan Tannehill, if there's any old back in there, is going to get blown up if he tries to read option in that scenario. But because so many people like you have to be that concerned, that concerned about Derrick Henry. And the reason you have to be that concerned is because he's special. He's not just any old running back. He will run over. If there's one guy on him right there, he will run over one guy. You know, so you have to account for him like the Ravens did. And then that just opened things up for Tannehill. So the overall effect on the football game that Derrick Henry had is why you pay a guy like Derrick Henry. Oh, and not to mention, he popped the 29-yard touchdown run to win the game. So while his box score didn't look impressive all game long, he you know made it look impressive late. And another thing I want to talk about in this game is the the AJ Brown. There was a few plays that AJ Brown made, but that late touchdown was amazing. You know, just being able to basically run through the entire Ravens secondary, including Marcus Peters and I believe uh, Marlon Humphrey. So that was impressive. But just the he didn't have a ton of catches yesterday, but the overall, like, you know, just when you need that extra yard or two or 10, you know, he just, he delivered for them. And that was obviously a big deal. So, uh, you know, the touchdown was great. And just the overall effort from AJ Brown was phenomenal. But when you look at like everybody, I know PFF had Ryan Tannehill last year graded as their number one quarterback. And it's weird that they would have him graded as their number one quarterback and then simultaneously say that the run doesn't help the pass because Ryan Tannehill, I think we can all agree, is not the best quarterback in the NFL. But what he is, is very efficient in, in the way that he's used, meaning the Ravens were basically forced to just leave their the Titan receivers in single coverage all game long. And why did I say they're forced to do that? They're forced to do it because you've got so many guys in the box and, and you're not going to you're not going to be able to, you know, give much extra attention to A.J. Brown or or Corey Davis in that scenario because you're in man coverage. You're, you're you know, have a lot of guys near the line of scrimmage and that leaves that schematically leaves one on one coverage on the outside. And Tannehill is able to just take advantage of that and AJ Brown's able to win. So he's very efficient in terms of what he's asked to do. And uh, yesterday was no different. 22 of 31, 259 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. And then he also chimed, chipped in with 35 yards on the ground. So um, Corey Davis, five catches for 113 yards. And it's just what I was saying, like him being able to take advantage of single coverage, even though they have great corners in Baltimore, being able to take advantage of that single coverage on the outside and having some space to operate and, and then having a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill that's going to be accurate and on time with the delivery of the football was, uh, you know, a big deal for the Titans yesterday. And then Baltimore, uh, you know, they, they, they were, Lamar was efficient, 17 of 29, 186 yards and touchdown, also threw a pick. 
Um, and then the positive note was J.K. Dobbins had 15 for 70 in a score. But Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram, I'm fine with, you know, the fact that Dobbins got 15 carries, but Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram combined for five carries. Like, can we get back to imposing our will as a running game in Baltimore? Can we do that? And I understand Lamar had 13 carries himself for 51 yards. So Tennessee did a pretty awesome job when you consider, you know, how difficult Lamar is to defend as a runner, held him to under four yards a carry. But, um, I mean, I just think Baltimore needs to run the ball more. And I understand they didn't necessarily run a lot of plays. Like, what did they have? 28, so 33 runs, 29 passes. I get that, but I just think they they could run it more because they are so difficult to deal with when they run it more. And then I think I want to see Lamar throwing the ball really well when he decides to push it down the football field. And I want to see more of that because what I think that's a direct beneficiary of the fact that they're so good on the ground, right? They can push the ball down the football field. And when he did yesterday, he had guys open. So if it wasn't for that phenomenal pass breakup by, I think it was Watts, um, he would have had another long touchdown pass. So um, Baltimore, like I said just a minute ago, they had their hands full with the Pittsburgh Steelers this week on Thanksgiving. Um, it's going to be a tough one. I, I'm going to preview that one in great detail uh, very uh, a little bit later on in the week. So Saints-Falcons. So the Falcons look to be in control this game early, had had a little bit of a lead. Um, but let's talk about Taysom Hill first, right? Taysom Hill played full-time quarterback and was actually pretty good. Um, 284 total yards, two touchdowns, 51 of those on the ground, the yards, and uh, both touchdowns on the ground. A little bit of a slow start, but he finished strong. I mean, he he was good, right? And uh, I think the, the Saints defense, let me just talk about them real quick. My goodness, this team has allowed 72 points over the last five games. That's an average of 14.4 points per game. So that is awesome. They sacked Matt Ryan eight times. And uh, they appear to be looking like the defense that we all basically suspected them to be um, earlier in the season. So they, they were off to a very rough start early in the year. But they, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they pretty much are clicking on all cylinders now. So that's that's very impressive. I was very disappointed in Matt Ryan. Like, I, you know, I know it's a tough matchup. I get it. I know he was under a ton of pressure. And I know the Saints can cover on the back end. I understand all that. And I know he didn't have a running game to support him at all because New Orleans is great against the run. And also because the Falcons didn't really try and run all that much. But 19 of 37 for 232 and zero touchdowns, two picks. To me, and just the way he was making these mistakes in, in moments where it's third and two and he's holding the ball for five seconds, taking a sack. Like, I'm sorry, man, but there has to be a clock. You're a veteran quarterback. Like, there has to be a clock in your head knowing you got to get rid of the football and you cannot hold it after a certain point. You just have to figure something out, right? And even if that's Matt Ryan's decently mobile, like he could even, you know, scramble in those situations. So um, if I'm a Falcons fan, I'm not accepting of the performance of Matt Ryan. He just didn't play well enough. And, uh, you know, so that's what I'm t- saying. And, and then on the, on the same side of things, man, seven straight wins, seven straight wins. And this one coming on the uh, with Taysom Hill as a starter. So look, Taysom Hill played well. I mean, he was eighteen of twenty-three. You know, he he uh, he did what he was asked to do, and he did it pretty effectively. So I, I still think they'd be better suited to have Jameis Winston playing quarterback there. But I am happy for Taysom Hill. And uh, hey, now you can justify his ten million dollars salary a little bit easier. So. Another big win for the Saints, like I said, seven in a row. And now they put some pressure on the Buccaneers to beat the Rams tonight. All right. Patriots at Texans. Disappointing loss for the Patriots because you just felt like they were kind of just getting it going and uh, potentially going to make a run in the playoffs in the AFC, which they still could do, I guess. But this was obviously a big, big loss for them. And, uh, Look, Cam played well. You know, he, um, um, I mean, 365 yards passing. And yes, that is um, slightly skewed because of the long Hail Mary that was caught late in the game, but uh, ultimately was tackled and, you know, didn't uh, necessarily, wasn't indicative of, of his stat line, but it's on the stat line. So it kind of boosted a little bit. But I've been saying for several weeks now, Deshaun Watson is going to string together some wins because he's just too good not to. 
Well, this is an example of that. Deshaun Watson, 28 of 37 for 344 and two scores. And then he also was their leading rusher, six carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. So um, maybe his best game of the season, definitely a bounce back from what we saw from him last week in Cleveland, where he basically didn't do anything. Um, just seven points last week. And the Texans had a pretty good team victory. I mean, the offensive uh, output from the receivers was very balanced. 85 yards for Cooks, uh, 83 for Jordan Aikens, and then another 80 from Will Fuller. So a bunch of different guys caught passes. Let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different receivers caught a pass in, in Houston. So that was impressive. And from the Patriots side of things, you rarely see something like this for New England. But I felt like they kind of abandoned the run and went you know, to a passing attack with Cam, which which worked. I mean, he was 26 of 40, 365 in the score. Uh, but Damian Harris was running well, only 11 carries, 43 yards in a touchdown. James White, just five for 19. And uh, Burkhead, of course, got hurt, four for seven. Cam only three carries for six yards, which is kind of surprising. But, um, you know, I, I thought that they could have stuck with the run a little bit. I didn't think there was any reason to panic when they were down the, um, I think, 10 points they were down. So, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on that. But the Houston defense had maybe it's one of its best games of the season, in my opinion, because even though they give up a lot of yards to Cam, they only gave up 20 points. And for a team that was the worst run defense in the NFL entering this game to come in and, and you know, actually hold up fairly well in that regard was impressive. So, um, their first win against a team not named the Jacksonville Jaguars, so that matters. And anytime you beat the New England Patriots, you need to be proud of yourself because as long as Bill Belichick is there, and especially when Cam Newton is always there, um, you know that's that's not easy to do. So um, a big win for the uh, Houston Texans from just from a cultural standpoint. Romeo Cornell beating his old boss. So uh, and for the Patriots, they play Arizona next week. So that's going to be a uh, very intriguing game in a game that New England obviously has to win if they want to if they want to um you know have any chance at the playoffs which I know very slim chances right now at best but um if you want to take one positive from this from New England their pass defense didn't play very well but the run defense played probably their best game of the season I mean they uh you know Duke Johnson, 10 carries for 15 yards, and then C.J. Procise, three carries for four yards. So that's 13 carries for 19 yards by the Houston running backs yesterday, which makes you know what Deshaun Watson did even more impressive because they had absolutely no running game to speak of, and he was still awesome. Like I said, 344 and two scores for Deshaun and one, one on the ground as well. So nice win for Houston and tough, tough loss for New England. And one other thing I want to touch on is the Patriots – have been in these situations, right? Where they against Denver, against the Seahawks, and now against Houston. And there might have been more where they're where they're, you know, the, the offense is on the field with a chance to go tie or win the game. And they keep coming up short against Buffalo as well, where Cam fumbled, right? So that's I know Cam is disappointed in that, but look, you've got to find a way to win the game or tie the game. They were down by seven and they were driving, and I know Fourth down, I think it was like fourth and two or something. And uh, Romeo Cornell dials up a very nice blitz, and it just completely unblocked. Cam really has no chance. And, uh, you know, I'm that's tough, right? But you've got to find ways to win those games and to come through in those moments. And they have not done that, and that really and truly is the difference in their season so far. They, if they were to, you know, win even just two or three out of those games, um, they're – in, in very much in uh, in contention for the division, so not not just and even still a wild card spot, but um, tough loss for New England, solid win for Houston. All right, let's talk some Eagles Browns, shall we? So um, I know Baker Mayfield didn't light up the stat sheet, but what he did do on his just twenty two pass attempts and twelve completions was he. He averaged almost 17 yards per completion, and what that tells me is the run game is affecting the pass game, which I always say is true, and analytics always tells me that that's nonsense. But clearly, the run game affected the pass game. I mean, the, look, the, the uh, Browns combination of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt had 33 carries for 125 yards and a touchdown. I know Kareem Hunt really struggled, and so did Chubb for most of the day, but he popped that 50-something yarder late in the game, which... Uh, seemingly when you give Nick Chubb the football, eventually he will break one. Like he's just 
excuse me, he's just too good. He's too good not to. So um, Baker didn't turn the ball over. And the Browns, you know, like I said, that he averaged almost 17 yards per pass attempt. So I'm sorry, per completion, not per pass attempt. Over nine yards per attempt as well, though. So a nice, when they did pass it for the Cleveland Browns, they had a nice kind of balance to what they did in terms of catching, you know, 73 yards, 65 yards, 33, 23. That's what they did as receivers. And uh, I'm sorry, Baker did turn the ball over once he had a fumble, but the Cleveland Browns defense now, it's been several weeks in a row where they've played really good football. You know what I mean? So that's, that's impressive. And that's, uh, um, you know, especially for them moving forward and look, the way that they're going to win games and they, and they are perfectly content doing so is leaning on their run game on the offensive side of the ball, chunk plays in the pass game, not, not necessarily 50 plus yarders, but, but, chunk plays taking advantage of the heavy boxes and the linebackers creeping up like like they tend to do against run game this this dynamic so that's what their kind of formula is offensively and then on the defensive side of the ball evidence especially by what they've done lately just you know play sound defense like Carson Wentz struggled again and he continues to struggle so um, the Browns defense has made really most quarterbacks they've played, especially lately struggle. So it's nothing new for them. And to, for them to do this without Miles Garrett was very impressive. I think Vernon had three sacks in this game. So when you look at Cleveland, I talk about this a lot and it's very much because it's true. When you look at what they were able to do in a game that they have to win, right? If you want to make the playoffs, you have to consistently beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. You know what I mean? And in this game um, and recent weeks have been like this where they beat the Texans and stuff like that, like that, that's the kind of games you have to win in order to make the playoffs. So a big win for Cleveland and um, yeah, seven and three, the Cleveland Browns are seven and three now. And on the, on the Eagle side of things, you just look at it, man, they're still in first place. I think by a half a game now in the NFC East, literally all three other teams are, are one half of a game behind Philly. So that's uh now everybody's in striking distance. I mean, you look at it again, Carson Wentz had 35 pass attempts, right? Well, Boston Scott and Miles Sanders had 21. And they averaged well over four yards a carry. So they were running the ball effectively. But again, Doug Peterson elects to just put more on Carson Wentz's plate than he probably should have. And they lose the game. Travis Fogum just one catch for eight yards in this one. So that's surprising that... Um, Alshon Jeffrey sighting was kind of miserable late in the game for Philly. But um, look, man, it's not looking good for Philly. The defense is still very good, but the run game can, continues to be kind of on the back burner compared to the Carson Wentz-led pass game. And, you know, before too long now, you're going to have to consider putting Jalen Hurts in because Wentz is turning the ball over at just an unacceptable high rate. And, uh, yeah, that's not going not gonna to get it done. But right now... If I was to pick a team to win the NFC East, I don't know who I'd pick, but I think I would, even though the Eagles are in first place, I'm very afraid to think that they're going to win it. Unless they start running the ball, like I think they need to be a 50-50 run pass team. Like I really believe that, you know, I think that would be the way they're, that for them to have success because right now they can't hold up in pass protection and Carson Wentz is turning the ball over. And Doug Peterson just doesn't care. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to pass it 65% of the time. It's not, that's not the formula, not the formula. Um, all right, moving on to the Dolphins Broncos game. So Tua gets benched, right? I mean, he struggled to move the football. He was 11 of 20 for 83 yards, you know, so, um, he, he didn't turn it over, but he struggled to move the ball. Drew Locke was good. He threw an early pick, but he was 18 of 30 for 270. And uh, no touchdowns, one pick on the day, but he played well. Honestly, this might have been Drew Locke's most complete game of the season in terms of just, yeah, he had the early pick, whatever. But but other than that, he played well. And um, look, man, this Denver team, I've been saying it all year, they play hard for Vic Fangio. They really do. Like They're, they're not a team that, that I know last week they got kind of blown out by the Raiders, but that was you know, on the back of the four interceptions locked through. When you throw four picks, as we saw from Jacksonville today, you're going to get beat pretty good, right? You're not going to mostly be in games, unless you're James Winston. You're not going to be in a game where you throw four picks um, most weeks. So Drew Locke, again, like I said, played his best game in the season, in my opinion. A um, 
love the interception late by Justin Simmons. And look, I, I said this a second ago about the Cleveland Browns, and I'm going to continue saying it because everywhere that it applies, because it does matter. The Dolphins are a good team, right? But for good teams to be considered good teams, you have to win games like this. Like they're a better team than the Broncos, but they lost. You know, Miami will get there. I think, in my opinion, but they lost this one. Gordon, Philip, uh, Lindsey, and Melvin Gordon combined for 31 carries for 166 yards and two touchdowns. And Gordon would have had that third touchdown if he didn't fumble the ball literally on the one-yard line to give the Miami Dolphins a hope and a prayer at coming back. But as far as the two of benching goes, I'm not like, you know, first of all, I understand why they benched Tua. He wasn't playing well, okay? And the other part of that is if they were a 2-7 and seven team, like the like the Bengals or whatever, um, then you just let Tua play it out, right? But this team was six and three before this game. There's a big difference between going six uh, between going seven and three and six and four. So the thought process behind the benching is kind of like the whole reasoning why um, I didn't know about the move to to start Tua over Fitzpatrick to begin with, and that was this team and its veterans expect to win now. Right, the defense is giving you an opportunity to win the game by by holding the, the opposing offense to just twenty points. You've you're going to lose the locker room if you don't if Tua struggles and he's not playing as well as Fitzpatrick. So in this must win, you know, not I want to call it a must win game, but a very important game for Miami. Flores says, "Hey, he's it's not his day. Let's get the young kid out of there. Explain to him it's still his team, but let's see if you know we can't get some Fitz magic going and steal a victory, and then." work on Tua over the week to kind of to fix his game, right? So I understand it. Now, it is risky in the sense that you don't want to ruin Tua's confidence. But I would, I'm going to trust Flores here that he knows where Tua is mentally and that, um, he's, you know, that he believes it's not going to ruin his confidence. So I'm just, you know, if you're a Dolphins fan, you just have to stick with that and understand, hey, uh, our coach knows what's best and, um, you know, we're going to we're going to just kind of trust him on that. So I don't think there's any, you know, obviously, I don't think there's any QB controversy moving forward. But the big question I would ask is what happens if Tua struggles again next week and puts you in a similar position? Then do you, you know, because I don't think you can do this again. I don't think you can bench him uh, for his performance again. Right. So that because that would be like. You know, if this one doesn't hurt his confidence, if you do it again, I don't see how it wouldn't hurt his confidence. So that uh, that's just one thing I would I would want to, you know, talk about, I guess, in that regard. So anyways, moving on to the Packers and Colts game. So a big, big, big win for the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, big, right? Like you, you and it, it felt like it was all Green Bay and it was all Green Bay early. They were up 28 14. And seemed to be in complete control. Rodgers had over 300 yards and three touchdowns against uh, what is most in most categories the top defense in the NFL. So that was impressive, a very impressive drive to go tie the game uh, in the at the end of regulation there for Aaron Rodgers. Even though I'm sure he wished he had a touchdown at that point because they were moving the ball very well. And um, look, man, I've been critical of Philip Rivers this year. But this guy played well again in another big game. 24 of 36, 288, and three scores. Did throw a pick early, but seemed to bounce back nicely. And hey, from a fantasy standpoint, maybe it's Jonathan Taylor's season. 22 carries for 90 yards in this one. So that um, was awesome. Then he also had four catches for 24 yards. So for him to get 26 touches in in this one for 114 yards is is uh, very encouraging, especially when you look at Naheem Hines had six carries, Jordan Wilkins had four. Um, so he was the guy in the backfield for that game. And um, I told you guys last week, pick up Michael Pittman because if he, you know, if you you can get him cheap, right? If he does it again and he scores a touchdown, now it's going to cost you a little bit. Well, I have a sneaky suspicion that he'll be on more. I mean, I don't think he'll be super expensive because he just had three catches for 66 yards and a score, but he was their leading receiver, you know, in, in yards. And uh, I think that he's a guy that, like I said in my waiver wire pickup last week, my episode of the uh, waiver wires, he could very easily be their number one receiver from this point on. So I think that that's kind of showing itself to be potentially true. And um, look, my favorite part about the Indianapolis Colts is that they are balanced. Like, the, you know, on both sides of the ball, they can win, and they are balanced on both sides of the ball, meaning 
We all know they can run the ball. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And uh, yeah, they can run the football, especially when Jonathan Taylor now, you know, is kind of seeming to have his best game of the season. That's a very encouraging sign. But they can also pass the ball. I mean, like I said, Rivers, 24 of 36, 288 and three scores. And then on defense, they can stop the run. They can run the rush, the passer and they can cover. So when you have that kind of a formula where you don't have a weakness as a team, it makes you very, very difficult to beat. And um, look, you beat the Green Bay Packers yesterday, 34-31. That was a very, very big game and a good game for this Colts team. Now, for the Packers on their on their offensive side of the football, I don't understand. Maybe Aaron Jones is hurt, but 10 carries for 41 yards. He had a touchdown, but just 10 carries, right? Then he also had four catches for 30 yards, so just 14 touches, and he's, it just seems like in big moments that they are favoring Jamal Williams. Now, that you know could obviously be because of an injury that, you know, uh, I'm not sure if he's still banged up, but maybe that's what it is. Um, but it seems to be that um, it's more of a committee than usual. Now, I would say maybe, and this would be really weird, especially for a Packers type of team to do, but maybe it's like they don't, they're kind of controlling his contract negotiations through his play. I mean, that's just a theory. Could be that. Not saying it is. But um, another thing I want to touch on for the Packers offense is the uh, MVS, Marquez Valdez Scantling, had a uh, big catch late in regulation. I believe it was three catches for 55 yards, no touchdown, but he had the big fumble. And I hope that that doesn't ruin the obvious trust that is brewing between him and Aaron Rodgers. I think that um, there is Aaron Rodgers is starting to really trust him. And I just hope that the fumble doesn't kind of ruin that because Rodgers is a little bit, you know, fickle when it comes to trusting his young receivers. So hopefully this doesn't ruin that for him. But um, otherwise, a pretty good game and a nice big catch for them late in that one. And um you know, 34-31 game, so more points than I thought would be scored in this one. But, uh, you know, big win for the Colts. Green Bay, the good thing for them is they're still in complete control in their division. And, you know, it, I'm not sure they're uh, going to get home field advantage, but that would have been a difficult ask anyway. So, um, yeah, big win Colts, tough loss Packers. Jets at Chargers, 34-28 win for the Chargers. And, my guy, Justin Herbert, played a pretty damn good game, right? 75% of his passes were completed, 75 and a half, 37 of 49, 366 and three scores. Um, this guy, as a rookie, leads the NFL in completions of 50-plus yards. Um, so that was awesome. Keenan freaking Allen goes for 16 catches for 145 yards and a score. So that is Pretty damn amazing. I mean, just force-fed targets at this point. He had 19 targets in the game, and from the Jet standpoint, defensively, I thought they'd, I thought they would make the uh, run game difficult for the Chargers, and they did. It's just that they had absolutely no answer for my guy Justin Herbert. Um, again, the Chargers almost allowed a a team to come back and beat them late in the late in the game when they had a big lead. So I'm happy to see they finally held on to one. And, um, you know, Joe Flacco, you have to say he's playing pretty well. He's throwing the deep ball pretty nicely. Um, I know his stat line doesn't reflect it. 15 of 30 for 205 and two touchdowns, one picks. But that one pick, but that pick six was awful. Just just saying. But um, he's throwing a really catchable deep ball. He's throwing one that's that's um, not only catchable, but it's, you know, basically putting his guys in position to take advantage of their skill set and make the catch. And he has guys like Denzel Mims and um, who had three catches for 71 yards today. And then Prashad Perriman, 254. But he's given them a chance to just go up and get it with their size. And, and that's kind of that's also what they're doing. So credit to them. Um, Cowboys Vikings, Dallas, big win. 31-28 over a Vikings team that had been really, really good as of late. So my, I had a suspicion, if you guys listened to Saturday's podcast, I had a suspicion that the um, Dallas Cowboys could come in to Minnesota and really, even though I picked Minnesota in my locks, right, potential locks for the week, I expressed my concern for the um, Minnesota Vikings to, I mean, uh, Dallas Cowboys to come in and beat the Vikings just basically due to the fact that they're coming off a bye week and a Mike McCarthy team that Obviously, Mike McCarthy has to start winning some games or he's going to get fired. He's going to be one and done in Dallas. And for them to, to kind of 
come in and compete like they did was uh, very impressive. And it was something that I, in the back of my mind, was pretty concerned with. Um, even though I took the Vikings in a lock, I, I still didn't even think they would cover. And obviously, they didn't even win. So I thought it was a, a great effort from the Dallas defense. And and uh, they held up pretty well against Dalvin Cook. I know he had 27 for 115 and a touchdown, but just 4.3 yards of carry, which I know I'm saying just, but that's because Dalvin Cook has been that good lately to where that's actually not great, right, for him. But um, Andy Dalton played well, 22 of 33, 203, three touchdowns, one pick through the game-winning touchdown late. Um, Kirk Cousins also played really well, 22 of 30 for 314, three touchdowns, no picks. Unfortunately, couldn't get it done on the last series of the game. And, um, you know, Dallas finally gets a good offensive performance without Dak Prescott. So, uh, very big win. And how about the touchdown catches between CeeDee Lamb and Adam Thielen? Just uh, really awesome. Pretty much the best you'll see in any game. And finally, Ezekiel Elliott has his first 100-yard game of the season on the ground. 21 carries for 103 for Zeke. So, um, yeah, man, a nice win for Dallas. It's very encouraging for them. And I know Cowboys fans are thinking tank for whoever and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden now you realize, hey, you're only a half a game out of first place in your division. So um, it's, it's it. Stranger things have happened. And if you look at Dallas, if their defense continues to play like they did or like they have lately, I know Cousins had, you know, kind of a great game against them. But if they uh, if they can be average, I think Andy Dalton can play better. Hey, they could easily win that division. So that's all I'm saying. And for the Vikings, any small chance and hopes you had at the playoffs kind of dwindle away not completely but considerably with a loss like this to Dallas it's very unfortunate for them all right the Kansas City Chiefs and Raiders Sunday night game this was an awesome football game Chiefs win it 35-31 um look elite quarterback play in this game Mahomes 75 and a half percent of his passes were completed 34 of 45 348 yards two touchdowns one pick Derek Carr was awesome 200, I mean, uh, 23 of 31, so that's 74% of his passes completed, 275 yards, three touchdowns, and then late interception that you, you know, like Collins were saying on the broadcast, you really can't fault him for. Um, and uh, what, I, what I was surprised about, however, was the fact that the Raiders only had 89 yards on the ground. Kansas City had 108. And something on the Chiefs run game real quick, it's or just running backs in general, is the fact that you have Clyde Edwards-Elaire and Le'Veon Bell on your team, and your preferred third down back, pass catching back, is Daryl Williams, is really a mystery to me. Like, I'm not going to question Andy Reid. He's obviously knows more than I do, but to me, that's very um, weird, to say the least. So that's all. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey had a combined 19 catches for 229 yards and two touchdowns last night. So those guys were you know, heavily involved and the chiefs, I suspected a potentially more of a run heavy approach in this one. That was just because Mahomes struggled last game against the Raiders. But um, what they did was instead of making it more of a, you know, run heavy approach, considering they threw the ball 45 times, what they did was they just, they transitioned the way they threw the ball. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of deep and intermediate stuff. It was, it was a lot of quick game, you know, a lot of um, just get the ball out quick because they knew the Raiders were going to make sure that they didn't allow anything deep for the most part. And their their counterpunch to that was just to get it out quick and just take what the defense gives you consistently all game long. And that's what they were able to do. I mean, Mahomes and uh, the Chiefs offense was very efficient. Just two punts, no sacks. And neither team uh, allowed a sack. So that was very good from good on both offensive lines and good quarterbacks. So, um, And the, the difference in the game might have been the drops like there was a drop by Nelson Aguilar and um, at least one and then there was a two drops from the fullback Alec Angled and that was obviously those were very critical especially the one on that little wheel route that he got behind Sorensen I believe it was on and that that was a uh, critical for the Raiders and I think the only other mistake they made was scoring that touchdown with over a minute and a half left so you, you give Patrick Mahomes down by three a minute and a half left and I think he had at least one timeout, maybe two. So um, that final drive for the Raiders defense 
was not impressive. But I think overall, they, you know, look, you give up 35 points. I know people are going to say, what are you talking about? They played well, but their defense competed and it made it difficult. And I think that that's the correct game plan when you play against Patrick Mahomes is to kind of force patience out of him, right? You, You literally just force him to be patient because he's so used to being so dynamic and, uh, you know, creating those big plays and stuff. When you force him to be patient the entire game like they did, you give yourself a chance, right? Like, you, like in other words, that interception at the end of the first half, that doesn't happen if they are allowing chunk plays, right? That happens because they made him throw the ball 45 times. They made him earn every yard. So um, when you do that, just like when you do that, you, you create more opportunities for mistakes. And, uh, you know, that obviously matters. So um, I think it's the right game plan. It's just that the Kansas City Chiefs have so many weapons. They can beat you in any way. And last night was a prime example of that. So it's unfortunate that they allowed the Chiefs to, to have that much time on the clock. But otherwise, the Raiders played really well, man. They really did. They, I, I think that it's safe to say I have underestimated them. I think they are a better football team than I think. But here's the key for them. We've seen their best football, which I think was last night, right? And also the last time they played the Chiefs. And they have lately beat the teams that they are, quote unquote, supposed to beat. But for the rest of this season, which is, I think, seven games left for the Raiders, can you beat the teams that you are supposed to beat? Can you become a really good football team? You know, in the sense that... um, you don't have those letdown games like the Miami Dolphins had yesterday. Can we see this type of football from the Raiders moving forward? That's what I want to see. If they can do that, they will definitely be a playoff team and, and they will be a very difficult out in the playoffs. Like if they played the Chiefs for a third time, I am not going to make the Chiefs one of my locks. I'm, I'm absolutely not. Like this team offensively matches up very well with Kansas City and defensively, they know how to make things difficult on Patrick Mahomes. So I know if you look at the stat line, he had well over 300 yards passing, completed 75% of his pass. I get it. But the way they defend him is the only way you can defend him if you want any chance. So um, they force him to be basically disciplined. You know what I mean? So that's that's to me, I think, is the best part about what they do. And yeah, like I'm, I'm excited for the Raiders and I think they are going to make the playoffs. I'm excited for them and what they can do. And then for the Chiefs, obviously, they've lost one time in the last year, literally. So um, that's very impressive. And I cannot wait to watch them play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next Sunday or this coming Sunday. So I'm very excited for that. And uh, yeah, man, so that's what I've got for you guys in this episode. I very much appreciate you listening. And I am going to try and get out a uh, Tampa Bay versus the Rams preview as well today. And I appreciate you for listening. Leave a review, share the podcast. I love you. Peace out.